Hi, friends, and welcome to Consortio Day. Consortio Day is a podcast about partnering with God. That's where the name comes from. It's kind of roughly the Latin for partners of God. And it's about those who do sacred work, whether professionally, uh, whether in other roles alongside their career, and what kind of healthy rhythms they have to sustain their own soul. Sacred work requires a healthy inner life that feeds the work itself, the exterior life. And so this is a podcast of conversations about how those doing sacred work maintain those kind of healthy rhythms. My name is John Chandler, and I am training to be a spiritual director after 25 years in church ministry and working some in nonprofits. And I am looking forward to, in this next season of life, walking alongside those who are doing sacred work in, as a means to support them and help shape their own souls as they lead and guide others. So my guest today is Sean Palmer, and Sean is the teaching pastor at Ecclesia in Houston. He is the author of a number of books, most recently a book on 40 Days on Being an Enneagram 3, which we talk about a little bit in this conversation. And he's also a featured writer at Missio Alliance and, and has his own um, substack you can find called The Twist. Just, just a really thoughtful voice that I often appreciate. One note about the recording schedule. Obviously, I uh, got the first two almost pilot episodes out. Uh, really been a couple months ago, and then my family moved. And so I'm still trying to find the rhythm for this. But I'm kind of considering this fall to be my pilot episode season as I settle into a more faithful rhythm once we get past the new year. So I've already got more interviews coming and scheduled, but just want to let you know what the expectation might be going forward. All that to say, here we are with Sean Palmer. So Sean, it is it is good to see you. It is good to hear the thunder in the background too, I got to say. Um, All right. You and I have met in person once or twice, and we've done this before because you were on my old Sermon Smith podcast. So I thought I'd, I just wanted to reach out and reconnect with you in this new format I'm doing because I appreciate the things that you have to say. As I've heard you, you know, in our own interactions and on other podcasts, you know, specifically, part of why I wanted to invite you to this is just because, and I don't want this to be an interview about your book, but even here, hearing you talk about your, uh, 40 days, you know, of being an Enneagram three, I think it's pretty great. So, uh, I think there's some stuff there we can touch on, but all that to say, tell us a little bit about what kind of work you do as a spiritual leader, that the context where you do ministry. Yeah. Well, in one frame of reference, that's very, um, that's very simple is that I'm the teaching pastor at Ecclesia Houston. Yeah. And so I oversee um, much of the content, all of the the weekend teaching, scheduling, you know, scope and sequence and all of that. And how that kind of material and content shapes a community is my purview. But as a pastor, I mean, there's no pastor that doesn't pastor people one-on-one -on -one or in small groups and those sorts of things. So I um, have a group of people that um, um, seek me out from time to time that I enjoy walking along with, and I feel like God has used me, but because, uh, the, because the Lord's allowed my ministry to kind of go in a lot of different directions, I get an opportunity to spend uh, spiritual time with lots of different people, some through coaching. I do speaking coaching and, a, and a, a good bit of that, John, maybe half the content that I work with people through in that arena is a uh, spiritual formation. Matter of fact, even yeah. in the groups that I coach, we have spiritual directors who who come in, great. And I'm a big believer in having and guiding um, 
people towards spiritual direction. I'll give you a couple of stories about that. Um, uh, there, there's one board that I'm on that that's all, that's all that that ministry does is it provides spiritual direction for people in ministry, particularly women. It's called 1128 ministry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what that ministry exists to do is because of all of the difficulty around people in the pastorate, um, yeah. accessing spiritual formation. They're always being called upon to lead and to provide spiritual formation, but where do they get it? And this ministry particularly works with women in ministry uh, because they have some unique needs in that area. And then also um, I'm on another board of a, of a national ministry. And we recently, I think maybe in the last year brought on a new executive director and a caveat for me in bringing her on was uh, if we're going to have an executive director, then one of the things that we're going to pay for as an organization is for her to see a spiritual director hmm. um, on an ongoing basis. I think it's core. I think one of the things that we have seen, quite frankly, John, in the last several years, especially in evangelical churches, and everybody knows the names, so I don't have to sure, mention them, sure. of, all, of all the flame outs and scandals, is that these were men and women, mostly men, overwhelmingly yeah. men, yeah, yeah, who who submitted to no one spiritually, who had no spiritual direction, who um, in many ways weren't practicing any spiritual disciplines besides opening up, cracking open their Bible to prepare a lesson or a right. sermon or a teaching. Right, right, yeah. And more so than a lot of the things that people want to assign to as blame for these for these flame outs is just the lack of spiritual direction and becoming a spiritually formed person. So um, I do that with all of my clients. I do that in our church setting. I do that through Word. Um, it's part of what I do when I serve on boards. Um, if I'm going to be a part of it, it's part of what I do when um, I do premarital counseling. For I do a good bit of that for people in our community. Um, is spiritual direction because it is so so key to everything else that we do. And God is affirming you in the background. With the, <laughs> with the thunder, yes. <laughs> so, how did you, how did you, how did you come to a place of awareness about the value of that and the need for that? Because, like you know, like I, I think we talked a little bit even before recording about, for so many of us, we, we learned, we learned the practical skills of ministry, but a lot of us didn't have background or training and even our own spiritual formation. So. How did you come to your own awareness of the need for that and to make sure you have it in your life? Well, I fortunately, I didn't have one of those hard landings where you go, oh, man, oh, crap, I need something else. Yeah. But I think maybe I was in my early 30s and we had brought a consultant in for the congregation I was working for um, at the time. And they introduced us to this practice that we had to do as part of this ongoing thing, just the practice of Lectio Divina. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard of it before. And it dawned on me during that season that I had gone to um, college. I had studied uh, for my MDiv and I walked away from all of that, knowing how to prepare a sermon and lead a church and all of that. But no one had taught me, how do you read the Bible? How do you become the kind of person that God could trust with great responsibility? Right. And so it was through 
um, kind of dipping my toe into spiritual practices. And then I just wanted to devour everything that had been written, like whether it was Dallas Willard or yeah. finding out about um, um, ancient practitioners. And I was, I came along at the right time where a lot of churches were doing sort of an ancient future thing. So there's a lot of material and content yep. out yeah. in the world about, about that. And I started to explore and explore more and to read more, which um, is probably my go-to spiritual discipline is study and reading and then leading to practice, even though that's not the best thing to do. But it was what I knew at the time. It is. I'm an Enneagram 5. That is absolutely the best thing. (laughs) (laughs) I remember reading in a book uh, several years ago, probably about that. uh, Yeah, maybe about six years ago. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but she had just gone through a really bad divorce. And she said in her book that she did what she always did in those times, which she thought reading a book would solve it. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my goodness, like that, that um, describes not my personality, but the way I was trained to think. Yeah, yeah. And so then it, you know, I'm much more, I am much better read in spiritual practices than I'm a practitioner of spiritual practices because of the way I was spiritually formed, which was content and knowledge lead to practice rather than the other way around. So even at that, um, you know, with that process for me beginning maybe 15 years ago, you know, there's still some reflexive ways that I do spirituality, which may not necessarily be the best way. Hmm. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, and this might lead into my next question here, or another question I'll ask in a little bit, but, and I'm thinking out loud here because I've never stated what I'm about to say, but, you know, for so many, I think we consider spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices to almost be like this daily rhythm or this, or some kind of regular rhythm, because maybe you have daily practices or weekly practices, but I also think there is a benefit to acknowledging that a lot of these are just tools and sometimes in different seasons or different things you're facing, you might need to access a different tool. So while I appreciate the way you're talking about doing all this reading and having more knowledge, you know, maybe even than you have experience, I would have to think there's something to be said for in this season I'm coming up to now, I've learned about this other spiritual discipline, this other spiritual practice, maybe this is a season where I need to engage this one. Does that make sense to you? Like, do you feel like you find yourself moving between different spiritual tools, so to speak? I do. And, you know, it's always good to know what's on the menu before you decide what you're in the mood to taste, right? So having a robust understanding of everything that's available to you as a spiritual practice is a great place to begin spiritual practices. Um, and yeah, the seasons change in terms of what you need, right? So there are times where we just need practices that will help us enter into peace. And there are times we need practices that will help us enter into engagement with the world. There are, you know, if I'm going to take seriously Jesus's call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I need to actively engage practices that help me do those things. Because most people, John, when you look at love your love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, yeah. your strength, yeah. most of us are naturally drawn to two of them. <laughs> right. And sure. so to be a fuller person, 
I have to practice the things that I'm not naturally drawn to and also the things that I'm drawn to or else, or else I won't do it. So, um, it's kind of like, um, when I, when I first learned to play guitar, right? So when uh, I bought my first guitar, one of the people who guided me through that process says, well, make sure you check the action and check the strings uh, and that you're going to have to harden your your fingers and all of that. But if it's too uncomfortable, you'll never play it, right? Hmm. Like if it's, yeah, if it's yeah. too painful, you'll never play it. And I think that way about spiritual practices and spiritual direction too. Yeah, if There are some that in a season of life are so hard for me that I would never do them. And all that means is that I might need to come back to them at another time in life. Kind of, I've had plenty of books where I started and read the first hundred pages and thought, this book is not for me. It's terrible. I don't know what everybody's talking about. But then I come back to it several years later and I think it's right. wonderful. Well, the, yeah. the content of the book didn't change, right? Uh, there's something in it, like there's your something. posture changed. <laughs> your yeah, need so, changed. Yeah. So something about me changed. And I think that way, that's why I don't really ever, um, like I think when I was younger, there was a lot of guilt and I don't know if I made it up or someone else mentioned it to me or uh, encouraged me to, there was a lot of guilt about not doing certain kinds of practices when I was, yeah. when I was late yeah. teenager, early twenties, everything was about journaling. And I try, I've got, I've got dozens of quarter filled journals in my house right now. Yeah. And it just got to the point where like, Oh, I hate journaling. Like that's not for me. Um, so now I journal once a week on Sunday nights and I might write a paragraph or I might write three pages and that's it. Um, because that's just not one where I feel, um, that God is, is particularly moving in this season of my life. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so let's, let's talk about that. Like even for, maybe let's just talk about the season that you're in now. Like, what are you finding are the kind of ongoing practices or rhythms that are helpful for you. Like I, I think there's actually a lot of awareness to even say journaling is valuable, but it's not as meaningful as it could be. So I'm going to do it once a week because I want to access some of the importance and value of it, but at the same time, not make it something that feels laborious, you know? Right. So I, I wonder what does it look like for you now? What kind of rhythms do you find sustain you in the work that you're doing as you partner with God? Right. That's a great question. And I want to go back um, to mention this because I think all for me, all of this is framed um, with having a rule of life. There you go. Um, and so that gives me some direction, some purpose. And I'm a, I'm a schedule person. So I like to know what I'm going to do. So we actually have, if you look at your, if you look at your life in terms of a rule of life, a lot of us already have practices and a rule of life that already fit into it. So like one for me is to actively engage in the weekly gathering of the saints. Yeah. So like that is part of my spiritual practice is yeah. just going to worship on Sunday. And so to miss it, isn't like, Oh man, I didn't hear a sermon this week or I didn't, or, or I missed the singing. Like, no, this is part of what I do to help me become more in the image of Christ likeness. For me in this last year, because we've been home, yeah. um, being home has um, has been really great for some people. What it what it's done for me is it's put me at the office twenty four seven. 
So I have my, my own home office. Yeah. It is like, and the family comes home, John, at the end of the day, they're at school. And, and I will still just reflexively come to my office and sit down and work on things because now home is the office. There is no separation. Right. right. So for me, this last year, Sabbath has become huge. Yeah. Um, that I'm going to take every Friday. Um, I'm not, I do not give myself permission to sit behind my desk. Um, I don't exercise on those days, generally speaking, uh, unless I've missed more than two days during the week. Right. Right. Um, uh, I, use an app on my phone that reminds me of what movies I want to see or what books I want to read for uh, enjoyment, not for, you know, writing or preparing something. So Sabbath has become very big for me. And yeah. Sabbath's one of those practices that at least in my experience of it, man, it took me a, it took me six to eight months just to stop resisting hmm. it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I've always been, um, I read a portion of the gospel every morning. So every morning I get up, I make the coffee for the family. I, I sit in my big chair and I just read the gospel. Not any, uh, I'm reading uh, Matthew right now. I don't have any predetermined outcome or how long I'm going to go. It's not like I'm going to read 10 verses or a chapter just until I feel like God gives me something. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then there are some other practices around generosity that are really important to me, things that I want to uh, um, give to and partner with and be engaged with in a real way. Some of that's taken a step back because of COVID, so I can't meet face-to-face -face in some of the ways, but they are not a uh, ministry outreach connection that happens inside my local congregation, but particular things that I'm, I'm concerned about that meaning that mean a great deal for me. So and you're primarily, you're primarily talking financial generosity there or generosity and other, there, there's a piece of it that's financial, yeah. but um, for a lot of us, that's easy. So I have to add an addendum to like how of, of yeah. time and attention. Right. Um, and meeting face to face with people who I wouldn't normally come into contact with. Yeah. Man, Sabbath, Sabbath feels like a, a good one for an Enneagram three. And I haven't really talked about Enneagram on this podcast, but I'm sure many people are familiar with it. But sure. what, what, what do you think took you, did you say six to eight months <laughs> to feel like, um, like what do you, what do you feel like took you so long to really stop resisting that? And what has helped you just fully embrace it? Well, what took me so long to stop resist to the reason I resisted, it's probably the better way to put it. Is because I just had stuff to do, you know. Like I have um, during COVID and uh, the last year and a half, I have I've written two books, and hmm. so like, man, when you've got that to do, like you've got stuff to do. Yeah. Um, um, I was still speaking for lots of different organizations and churches, like online or recording. Um, it's not just for people like me, and this is part of what it means to be. Um, an achiever in Enneagram three uh, is like, there is always something more to do someplace ahead to look. And then I'm never really pleased with anything. So it's like refining, refining, refining to get it to be yeah. the best it is. So to take an entire day when I could be working on one of those projects um, felt like falling behind. 
Um, and so I resisted a great deal. And the resistance looks like, okay, I'm going to do this today, but I'm just going to clear out my inbox before I start. Yeah. Or I'm going to take an hour at lunch and I'm going to outline this or I'm going to write this thing. And, and so an hour and you get into it and then you look up and it's three o'clock or four o'clock and you've been doing that all afternoon. Um, so the resistance for me was just, um, you know, this idea that if I didn't do something today, um, that I was just going to create more work tomorrow and that yeah. I was going to fall behind in something really important that I needed to be doing. And it sounds like since you're talking about you're doing it on Friday and all that, it sounds like your Sabbath is a personal Sabbath, not a family Sabbath. Right. Right. So you don't, you don't have, cause I mean, I'm looking right over now, you know, off camera for you, but at my giant three shelves of board games, mm-hmm. because every Sabbath, pretty much we'll begin in the morning with my kids with a board game because that's just their expectation. So there's a practice mm-hmm. and a rhythm there that it's kind of forced accountability almost of, but I can imagine how if it's a personal Sabbath, that's a harder thing to do. I mean, I schedule personal retreats on my calendar every month or two, just, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how often I end up up, oh, can't do it this time. I'm too busy. I'll push it back a week. Oh, I'll push it back a week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, discipline, which sometimes that sounds like such a hard word, but, uh, to be able to give yourself rest, a discipline to rest, you Mm -hmm. know? So you already talked about this and I wanted to raise this question, but you talked about the areas of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the two, um, that we do well and the two that we don't, what it, what does it look like for you to have balanced practices, in all four of those areas. And even maybe a little, how do you break down those four areas? Cause there's a lot of variety in, even in how people define, you know, those four areas. Right. And I, you know, I know so few people who do this really well. Yeah. So, um, you know, heart for me is about the times that I can actually be free and open and vulnerable about how I, how I feel about the world and to then honor other people's feelings um, as valid data points in the world that need to be honored, not always acted on, not, not yeah. always received as um, the final word, but to receive those um, as, as valid. And so what that means for me is like, I have to push myself into a spiritual practice um, of listening hmm. without responding. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I typically don't want to do that. Like I have, like I've said in sermons to our church, like we have so many great pastors on staff and they hold tension and problems really well. If you I've said people, if you want someone to listen to you, like find one of them. <clears throat> like if you've got a problem and you want someone to fix it, come to me. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But if you, if you just want to be heard and like, that's, that's a pro. So, um, some of that is making myself available, right? The, the discipline in that, because I have a much broader definition than many people about what's a spiritual discipline, which for me is what shapes us into, uh, the likeness of Christ. And so, 
Um, and le- things like Lectio Divina have the ultimate goal of those kinds of practices is to help us listen, right? Um, sure. So uh, I want to not just listen to God, but I want to listen to people. So I have to open myself up, which means for me, which is really difficult, making space and time for other people. Like there are people who I meet with fairly regularly in my community where I know like, oh, this lunch, this coffee, um, this 15 minutes, 20 minutes in between our worship gatherings on Sunday, like this is an opportunity for me to listen. So that's one of the ways that I practice opening my heart. Soul comes in a lot of different ways. Like for me, a lot of that has to do with music. A lot of that has to do with reading, as does reading has a lot to do with mind. We don't think too much anymore about developing the mind as a spiritual discipline. Um, And (laughs) you can read, you know, the newspaper and see how Christians have not developed a a mind. Um, That is reflective of the likeness of Christ. Like Christ does not promote or believe lies. Like Christ does not uh, fail to investigate whether something, a, a truth claim is valid. All of those. So that's part of it. Um, part of the mind is like, for me, because I read a lot, people think that I am a natural reader and a natural studier. I am not. Like that's something that's been formed over time. Um, but also, I mean, engaging with people who are not like me and mm-hmm. then con- is, is a practice. For all of those. And then, um, um, so that's like a strength question. Like, man, like it is really, um, it is real. Strength shows up in a lot of ways. I do think there's a lot that Christians should do as a, as an offering to God about caring for their own selves in terms of their body and their fitness, but also, uh, where your feet take you and where you allow them to take you and knowing who's going to be there and what's going to be called on you to do. But then there are other ways that bring all of that together, at least for me, things like contemplative prayer, which is not one that's come that comes easy for me. I actually recorded for a conference earlier today, a 20 minute um, contemplative prayer practice for for, just four Enneagram threes. So I did that this morning (laughs) And it's hard enough for me to do and without all the random thoughts that come into my, my mind. But then when I'm trying to guide other people's random thoughts, and then I have my own random thoughts and then I have thoughts about their random thoughts. um, (laughs) I get it. um, But like, that's what I, but when I left that, because there's just a lot going on in my own personal world today, like happening um, today, that is very anxiety producing that I will either know is good or bad, like within, within the next hour, like that was, that brought so much peace in that moment in a day that I uh, would otherwise have had a, an incredibly high level of anxiety. So I don't think everybody has to do um, a practice that kind of checks off the boxes. I don't like that about spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, the feeling that I have to check a box, but I do think it's wise to be aware of the places where you are that you're actually very drawn to and places that you're resistant to my friend, AJ Sherrill, for those of you who are, are interested in Enneagram stuff, um, has a couple of really wonderful books about the Enneagram and spiritual formation. And what he does is he gives upstream practices and downstream practices. So, uh, these are the practices 
based on your Enneagram type that are going to be easy for you. And here are some ones that are going to be a little bit tougher, but offer you um, more headspace for your own growth and development. Yeah. And I like that he does it. I just read that book actually maybe a month or two ago. And I really appreciated that imagery of upstream and downstream because that was actually going to be, uh, that's a good segue to something I was thinking about is you were talking about contemplative prayer. Like I see your guitar in the background. You can see my guitar in the background. <laughs> I just returned to guitar playing. I got that for Christmas and I hadn't played for like 15 years. And okay. so, and I want my kids to pick it up too. And so I can, it did not take me long to get those calluses back, but I can tell you that right now on that guitar are extra light strings, <laughs> very, you know, small gauge or whatever the proper terminology would be that don't offer me much resistance and don't offer them much resistance as I'm trying to get them to play. And sooner or later I'll bump that up just because they don't sound that good either, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but yeah. they're, they're helpful for that. So carrying out your metaphor, maybe beating your metaphor to death. Um, but this also matches up with that upstream and downstream concept, which is on the one hand, it's really beneficial to find some paths of least resistance for you, that downstream idea. But for you, I would imagine, like you've already named, contemplative prayer is a challenging one. So how, how do you determine when it when it makes sense to just, I need to step into a practice for me that offers a lot of life and not a lot of resistance? And how do you determine, I have some resistance in this particular practice, but it feels really important for me to push through that? Hmm. Yeah, that's such a difficult discernment question, and I don't know that I've ever answered it rightly, right? So sometimes I will think there's just a lot going on in life right now. I'm very anxious. I'm very stressed. So I need this practice that I find really difficult for the benefits that it brings. And there are other times where I thought, man, I'm really anxious. I'm really stressed. I need practices that are super comfortable for, for me, right? So like I've answered, I've responded to life um, in opposite ways. But a lot of that just depends on when I, um, whenever I am feeling short with other people, um, whenever I start to lose sleep, um, whenever I respond to other people out of anger, because those are things that are not native to who I am as a person. Hmm. Uh, when I feel really outside of myself, those are the times where I'm more likely to go like, okay, I probably need to mix it up and do something that puts me in a different place. So it's really for me much more about like where, um, where does this practice take me and where should it take me? Right. So, I mean, Dallas Willard has that wonderful, the Renovari Spiritual Formation Bible, where it just has all of those practices in the back of that Bible, which I found super helpful. Huh, I've never um, seen that. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great Bible. And here, I've got it right here on the shelf. I see you digging around. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you can't see it because it's so dark in my house right now because it's raining. Um, the Renovari Spiritual Formation Bible. And it's an NRSV, but in the back of it, right? It's just this glossary of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices um, and some highlights of where some of those live in the text. So um, the great thing about so much of Dallas Willard's work, who's really introduced me to the most, him and Marjorie Thompson's book, Soul Feast, 
um, is that it goes like, okay, if you do this practice, this is a reasonable outcome that you could expect. Like, so nothing's guaranteed. I mean, the desert fathers and mothers went out to the desert and prayed for years to hear God's voice. And some of them will say they never did. Right. Right. Um, so nothing's guaranteed, but to say like, oh, um, this is supposed to do X if I practice it over time. And I'm really big, John, into practical spiritual disciplines that don't always show up as like, you know, sitting with your Bible open and a journal over yes. in the corner and yeah. have quite like, um, like for impatience, like uh, drive in the slow lane, get in the longest line at the grocery store those kinds of things like that's where for me spiritual practices live um, yeah. because if i do that long enough like sabbath like if i do this long enough even though i'm going to reset the six or eight months what i find at the end uh, or at least in the process of doing that is the world will go on without me i'm not that important there's still time to get everything done uh, i can relax and my children will still eat. The world will continue to go as it has. So that's what I'm looking. That's how I decide what I'm going to try. And it's important for me that I look at spiritual practices as a kind of an attempt, an attempt. Like Joe Stabile says, the only way you can do spiritual practices wrong is to not show up. And yeah. I really like that orientation to practices. So I, I resonate a lot with what you're describing. I, I love the idea that there's not a lot of rigidity so much as there's a sense of there's almost there's almost a sense of awareness. You know, there's a sense of let me reflect on my life and what's happening on my life through the categories of heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I really appreciate that you're describing that some spiritual practices are not these huge mystical, you know efforts that you have to set aside an hour and a half to have a quiet place, you know, but they're, they're even small things that you do. But the thing I'm thinking about is you say a lot of this is it requires a lot of awareness on your part, a lot of awareness of self. And I guess I'm wondering for you, is that something you think you've always had or, or what have you had to do to even cultivate that level of awareness? I mean, I know in the intro to your book, you talk about, you meet with a therapist and a director every week. So maybe that's the answer, <laughs> but yeah. What, I mean, how, how have you been able to even develop the awareness to know what to engage and when? Oh, that's a great question. And I'm not sure that I'm not Good, sure thanks. that I have a response in terms of, so I have some fundamental beliefs just about how humans work, which is that we are all enormously self-deceived. Yes. And so more so Enneagram threes, but <laughs> we'll yeah, apply to yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, so that is a starting point is actually, I think uh, for me, been pretty healthy. It's like, Oh, I am probably lying to myself about whatever right now. And I, it's a strategy to get through life. So um, the awareness of your lack of awareness helps to create awareness. Um, so the idea then, and this is a lot of just work that I've done through, through Enneagram work, is just this idea of noticing 
yourself like without judgment, like, oh, that was an interesting response or um, I felt this arise in me. And I'll give you an example. Just Monday of this week, I was in a conversation about something going on here in our community and I felt within me this resistance to the idea and I wanted to advocate for the other idea. Uh, which happened to be my idea. <laughs> sure. um, and so I stepped back and I go, and I thought either one of these is fine. Why am I feeling such resistance and a willingness to fight over this? Uh, and it dawned on me and I, I knew immediately like, Oh, you feel threatened. Hmm. And one idea isn't better than the other idea for the community, but one idea feels threatening to you, even though that might be in the long term better for you. But that you only get there, I think, John, from having spent a lot of time deliberately and intentionally pausing to notice yeah. like, what's what's going on. Because you're not going to reflexively notice because noticing is not an urgent, noticing is not a feeling and it's not going to pop up and say, um, notice, notice, notice what's going on around you. Look inside. So yeah, spiritual directors help a ton. I, I think every Christian leader should have a spiritual director, whether you meet once a week or once every other week or once a month, however that is, someone who can look at your life that you've given permission to help you become who you want to be. So they're not trying to make you or force you to be something other than, um, than you have desired. You've stated your desire to be. And then a therapist, a good therapist, especially in times of heightened stress and anxiety can be helpful um, because they are people who uh, the great things, the great thing about a therapist is that they absolutely don't care for me, at least they don't care anything about your life outside of that room in terms mm. of yeah. anything that you do that the places that you hang your esteem in terms of work and accomplishment, even familial accomplishment or monetary gain. Like they, they just don't care. They just, the only thing they care about is whether or not you can pay them. And other than that, they don't care how yeah. much, how rich you are. And that's a real gift for a lot of people. And I think generally everybody could do with someone listening to them for a couple hours a week, just process. So how do you determine? Um, I appreciate your openness, even about engaging both these things in, in your life. And I don't think there's nearly as much stigma around that as there used to be anyway. But how do you determine what to bring to a therapist and what to bring to a spiritual director? I don't. And I'm very clear about this. And actually, I'm kind of in the in the market for a new spiritual director. And I'm talking with someone who I think is going to be really, really great. And this is what I this is what I told my therapist. I am really good at self-deception. And I'm so good at self-deception that I can deceive you about myself. And he asked me to give him an example. And I did. And he goes, oh, yeah you really are because that's exactly what I was thinking. Hmm. And so I told him the best way he could serve me is to be super direct and to direct me, like to give them permission 
to uh, push back, to direct, because uh, my personality is going to try really hard and be really aggressive to um, to lead and direct those conversations because my ego has had a lifetime of being soothed by people's opinions of me. And so I shape those to, to favorable outcomes. And that's not helpful for me. Like I'm just, I'm wasting my time if I do that in that session. So I really say to them, like, I need you to drive the ship. And even when it seems like I'm pushing back in a way that is uncomfortable for you, like I still need you to drive the ship. Yeah. So I don't decide like I'm free for them to ask me questions and I try my best um, to give honest and forthright answers. Yeah. So it's not even you like thinking, ah, what I'm wrestling with here is something I need to earmark for my next therapy appointment or I need to, oh, this one would work better in spiritual direction. It's just no, you know, that as you explore anything that's coming up, the approach that they're going to take just might differ, but they're both going to be things that you need. Is that a safe summary of that? Yeah, yeah. But and my wife will tell me which things I need to talk to who about. Too, so <laughs> that's always yes. nice. Yes, even if you don't want to hear it like, from her. Have you talked to you about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't go well when my wife tells me what things I should talk to my therapist about. <laughs> that's my problem, not hers. <laughs> um. Well, I, I, I'll just I'll wind us down with a couple more questions. One of them is, you know, I said early on, I don't necessarily want this to be a book interview, but I really appreciate I really appreciate the series that you've been part of with the forty days on being a three and just that that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that series is, and maybe talk specifically a little bit about the process of writing your own entry into that. Yeah, so I can talk about that. Uh... A long time, but everyone should know, especially if you're uh, exploring the Enneagram or know the Enneagram, that IVP has produced a series of books called Enneagram Daily Reflections. And they had nine authors. Uh, we're all edited by my friend Suzanne Stabile. And they're not uh, all published yet, are they? Are there, aren't they still in process? Well, I, don't... I, I think the last two okay. just came out like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Mine was the first, and as a three, I think that's totally well appropriate. Done. Well done. Um, <laughs> um, and so it's 40 days of in whatever your number is, whether you are three, a five, a seven, a nine, or two. Like There's a book where it just walks you through the journey of 40 days um, of someone who knows the Enneagram, hopefully knows themselves uh, really well to help guide your own Enneagram journey, as we thought that would be really helpful. Um, to see that. So if you've been to a lot of Enneagram teachings or just a couple, what you'll find pretty quickly is the presenter or the presenters are really sympathetic to their number and oftentimes spend a whole lot of time talking about their number and less time talking about other numbers. And the great thing about this series is that every number gets to hear about their number from someone who is their number and to go on the journey with them. And so, you know, uh, that was a, that was really a difficult writing project for me. I went away and wrote a good bit of them, spent time alone. Um, just because of the inner work of trying to get something that would be useful, uh, but not so, but also honest and, and as vulnerable as I could be about reality. 
And when you're in that space, it's really difficult because there is no story that's just your own. So it's just like, do I want to share this story about my kids or my mother or my cousin or whoever it is? Um, and if I don't, then that will kind of ring hollow to a lot of people. But the response has been really great. Um, and I would say it's obviously wonderful to buy your number, the book with your number and go on that journey. But if you know someone, so have someone close to you that is another number, um, you might want to read those. So I have gotten emails and all sorts of things from people who have read the book and they've found it useful. The best was several weeks ago, I was in Dallas and a woman came up to me and she says, um, I'm not a three. I can't remember what she said. I think she said she was a, a five, maybe a two. And she said, but my daughter is a three and your book helped me understand her. Yeah. And I thought that's the, like, that's the payoff, right? Uh, threes can get around and talk about what it's like to be a three all day. You could read my book. And I hopefully get something out of it. I just actually read an entry, an entry from it this morning for my devotional time, which I'd forgotten that I'd written. <laughs> um, and they have daily, they have a daily practice at the end of them at, e at the end of each entry. But that idea that, Oh, like this gives me a window into someone else that I know and love. It's just been really incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've never met Suzanne, but I've definitely engaged with a lot of her content around the Enneagram. And that's one of the things she always says, you know, is the best thing that can happen for the Enneagram is it gives you a lot of compassion for other people because you understand. And this is my paraphrase of what she says, but you understand you know, better where other people are coming from. But I still even push back on her a little bit of that because there's still, there still is some self-understanding that can be really beneficial. And I, I don't think she's saying that doesn't exist, no. but even some self-compassion can be really helpful to come out of that. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I do think that's a great resource. I haven't picked up the one on being an Enneagram 5 yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, and so uh, let me wind down with one question that I like to close all of these out with, which is in your role as a pastor, as a spiritual leader of others, what do you understand now that you wish you understood about yourself when you were starting out? Right. Understand now. Um, well, there are so many things. I started it as a youth worker. Um, what I, I think it comes back to this, John, um, is that most people, and I did not know this 25 years ago, <laughs> um, most people have a hard time truly believing that God loves them. Yeah. And if I could go back um, and do anything over again or to kind of infuse what I did and how I taught and how I led early on, it would be to f help people to experience God's love and to connect with that much more so than connect with and be a part of the church system. Yeah. Um, that most of us just don't feel loved. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, that I feel like that's a theme that God has been showing me lately. Even as I've been doing some of my own, you know, initial spiritual direction with others, um, and just being more attentive to it. How much language in the church is around love God, like you directing your love toward God, um, and almost a pressure then we feel to do thir- certain things to express that love, rather than. Um, that language of just receive God's love, be loved by God, which um, isn't out there much in our in our church culture. So I really appreciate you naming that, Sean. Uh, thank you so much. I, I didn't have any hesitation, and as as I was getting ready to start this podcast, you know, making the initial list of here's people who I would love to reach out to. Um, you were just one of the first people that came to mind. It didn't hurt that I had recently heard you on another podcast talking about some of this stuff, but I also just felt like, yes, of course. Um, he's on the short list of helping me get this thing kickstarted. So thank you. Well, thanks uh, for having me. It's great to talk with you again.